Welcome to the Engage podcast from BlackBot, the podcast for people dedicated to purpose-driven work. From nonprofit fundraising and finance to grant making, education, and corporate social responsibility, we're talking with sector experts and thought leaders about the best practices and latest trends that will help you grow your impact. Hi. I'm Dan Kewerf, Vice President of Customer Success Modernization at Blackboard. As we all know, data privacy is an ever-increasing important and complex topic that is critical for social impact organizations to understand. That's why I'm really pleased to be here today with Dan White, who serves as Principal Counsel on Blackboard's privacy team to help us understand more about the five key principles across global privacy laws that can help you develop an adaptable privacy program and to dive into some recent and pending data privacy legislation you should be aware of. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me, Dan. Happy to be here. And like you mentioned, um, I'm a lawyer for BlackBod, so I'd be remiss if I didn't lead off with a little bit of legal ease here. Um, I'm BlackBod's lawyer. I'm not your lawyer in terms of the audience. So we shouldn't construe this as legal advice for any specific facts or circumstances um, for anything we talk about today. Just be sure to consult with your own data privacy professionals. Um, so Got that out of the way, Dan, so we can we can dive into the conversation now. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. So, yes, let's start off by first talking about what is it that we mean when we say data privacy? And why is it that nonprofits need to pay attention to data privacy legislation and ensure they have privacy programs in place? Absolutely. So starting at a really high level, this whole concept of data privacy stems back from the historical view of privacy as a human right. And in the digital age, that's evolved into a focus on personal data and different rights that individuals have regarding personal data. So what is personal data? That's a really broad concept. It's a broad definition. Try to think of it really as anything, any info relating to an identified or identifiable person. So this could range from things as basic as name uh, and address to more sensitive data like your race or your religious beliefs. Um, and it can include all sorts of things along the way, including things that might be a little counterintuitive or not obvious, like IP address, for example. So it's a really broad definition of what is encompassed in this concept of data privacy. Um, but really, that is the context of what a bunch of new laws and regulations are focusing on. So uh, in the course of the last handful of years, there's been a wave of new laws that are dealing with data privacy and giving individuals a suite of rights respecting how their personal information is collected, how it's used, and different choices they have in terms of um, their rights regarding their personal information. So the reason nonprofits need to worry about these and pay attention now is that, like I mentioned, there are a number of laws in effect and some of these laws are already impacting nonprofits. So if you look at um, the GDPR, which is the European data privacy law, that includes nonprofits in scope. So that's also going to apply to the UK version as well. But now when we're looking at nonprofits doing business in the US, for example, the US is really joining the party when it comes to privacy legislation in recent years. There is not a federal privacy law in the US. At this point, it's just a patchwork of state laws. Um, there's been, uh, as of our recording, 12 states that have passed privacy laws, um, and a few of those are directly impacting nonprofits. We'll get into more of the specifics on those in general, but 
really the reason nonprofits need to start paying attention is because in, in many parts of the world, they're already in scope for these laws. Um, and they're becoming to be more in scope as these laws ripple across uh, the globe uh, and now into the U.S. as well. So there's also there's the legal requirement. And then one other piece I wanted to touch on, Dan, was the fact that now there's a general expectation of individuals around the world that they have privacy rights in general. They've seen these pop ups. Uh, maybe, you know, they're familiar with cookie banners or uh, clicking through different um, pop-ups when you're providing information and the like. Um, a lot of people just might just fly through those, but there's a general growing understanding that individuals have rights under these laws um, and they've got certain expectations. So there's the general expectations and now there's the legal requirements as, as well. That is a really helpful overview of what is a, a very large and complex topic. Thank you, Dan. And I know that Blackboard's privacy team has identified five principles across the global privacy laws. Can you tell us what they are and go a bit into each of them? Absolutely. So for the sake of you know our, our own sanity in terms of how we're approaching these laws and dealing with the, the global wave of, of these privacy laws, the approach Blackboard has taken is the the most practical way to, to move forward is take a holistic view at these laws and try to identify themes that continue to appear across the way because these laws aren't all reinventing the wheel. They're stealing from each other and there are similar concepts that are appearing throughout. Um, different laws around the globe have different flavors, of course, and there are nuances, but you can get the general buckets of what these laws are requiring. So what we did is we identified really a, you know a globe taking a global holistic approach primarily focusing on the countries that blackbot does most of its business in so we're thinking the us canada the eu uk australia new zealand looking at those laws and then identifying themes like you mentioned dan so we've taken a look and we found five common themes across the board and we've used those themes to make sure our products enable customers to comply with these laws wherever they may be doing business. So we don't need to go ahead and, and make mass changes every time a new law comes into effect. Knock on wood, um, most of these are pretty similar. Like I mentioned, it's just making minor tweaks. But if you capture the broad commonalities, we found it very helpful. And many other companies are taking a similar approach. So that's the why. And then when we get into the specifics on these common privacy principles, there's five we've identified and we'll talk a little bit more about today. The first is transparency. That's really what it sounds like. It's just being upfront about how organizations collect and use data that individuals provide to them. So that takes the form of privacy policies um, or privacy notices. These are the links you'll see when you're providing information um, and it, is, you know, you can argue if this is the best way to do it, but uh, fortunately, I don't make the rules. Um, it's really that long document that's um, you, you have to scroll through and read all the details in terms of what's collected, how it's used, what your rights are, etc. So that's the transparency piece. So it's important to understand really fundamentally what data you're collecting, how you're using that data, and where you might be sharing that data. If you don't know that, it makes complying with these laws impossible. So that's the baseline that kind of underlies all of this. So transparency overlays that. And then individuals have a number of choices in terms of how their data might be, might be used. 
And these take the form of potentially opting out of, of certain use of data. So if a organization is selling or sharing your data or using that data for the purposes of targeted advertising, for example, these are those ads that follow you across your, you know, across the web. So it's the pair of shoes you looked at, and then all of a sudden you're you're getting those Instagram ads that seem to follow you everywhere. So, you know, you have the ability under many of these laws to assert your preferences. So you can opt out of certain uses of your data. You can't opt out of everything, but you can have the ability to at least opt out of a few areas, like selling or sharing data or those targeted ads, like I mentioned. There's also the ability for individuals to request that their data is deleted or corrected. This is more straightforward in terms of the right. You know, if you want your data to be deleted, you have the ability to request to an organization, hey, please delete the personal information you hold on me. Those rights aren't necessarily absolute. So when we're thinking about it from a nonprofit perspective of trying to implement and work through the these, understand there's a lot of nuance there in terms of effectuating that deletion request. There are instances where there are many exceptions that might come into play. So that's an aspect where you need to take your time and make sure you understand what laws apply so you can be consistent and make sure if you're relying on an exception, like you need to hold on to the data to complete a transaction that an individual has worked with you on, or you need to hold on to it for some type of other legal purpose to document you've received a payment, things like that. Um, it can be a little tricky, but important to dive into the the details in, in that aspect. But deletion correction, that's something you see in all of these laws. And then the last piece in terms of consumer rights or in, uh, individual rights surrounds access. So individuals under these laws have the ability to request an organization provide them what personal information you have on them. So, you know, Dan, you can request to Target or wherever you might do some of your shopping. Hey, I'd like to see what personal information you've collected on me. And then they would have the obligation to provide you with a comprehensible report of generally what information is collected, but then also specific pieces of information that that organization might hold on you. So again, as you think about these individual rights, you can't really act on them unless you have a clear understanding of where your data is and what resides. So that, again, I'm probably going to be repetitive on that piece, but important to start the journey on understanding uh, really that data map of your organization if you want to be able to meet any of these requirements. The last common privacy principle, and we won't spend too much time on this today, is security. We have a lot of resources at BlackBot on security, so I encourage you to, to dive into that. But at its most basic level, organizations need to take reasonable and appropriate steps to secure personal data. And I'll pause there, Dan. Uh, that is super helpful. Thank you so much, Dan. Such good guidance there. And so be transparent, give individual choices, allow individuals to delete their data, uh, give individuals access to their data if they ask for it. And of course, the huge importance of security. Thank you for that overview. And of course, there are changing legislations all across the world, and you've talked to some of that. Specifically in the US, I think we've seen, of course, a few US state laws that have either been recently enacted or are pending at the moment that nonprofits need to be aware of, including Colorado, Delaware, Oregon. So perhaps let's start with Colorado, since they were the first state to not explicitly exempt nonprofit. What are the key takeaways for you from that law that our listeners should be aware of? Absolutely. 
like you mentioned, Dan, Colorado is the first U.S. state privacy law that directly applies to nonprofits. So my advice to any nonprofit listening, if this is new to you or unfamiliar, the first step you're going to want to take is make sure it's actually applicable to you because these state laws, again, we don't have a federal law in the U.S. that applies generally. So it's state laws that are um, really the concern at this point. And for Colorado, for example, there is a certain threshold in terms of the amount of uh, data subjects that are residents of Colorado that you have data on. So if you don't hit that threshold, then it's not going to be applicable at this time. So Colorado's number, for example, is 100,000 consumers. So if you, and that's the general metric, again, you'll want to take a look at the specifics here, but that's step one. Does it actually apply to you? And if yes, you need to worry about the specifics of these laws. And before you have to worry about trying to write down everything I'm saying here, um, we'll reference this again, and this will be in the show notes, but BlackBot has put together a privacy resource center that goes over a lot of what we've talked about today, and it also includes summaries of, of these laws. So it's going to have a summary of the Colorado law that's going to break down the scope and some other important considerations. So uh, in terms of like thinking back on our uh, listening to our conversation today and you want to take some next steps and some actions, I'd encourage you to take a look there. But once you get a sense, yeah, once you get a sense of whether it's applicable, Colorado is similar to, you know, those other principles we already talked about. So it's going to be those same themes to keep an eye on in terms of the choices, the transparency, the security. One wrinkle to call out for Colorado that's a little unique is a concept of a universal opt-out mechanism. Um, So essentially, this is a different way for individuals to make their choices known. So if you have a preference, for example, to not have your personal data sold or shared, so really, you know, that's an organization taking your data, passing it on to a third party, and they're receiving some type of compensation back for that. If you don't like the idea of that, there's now another mechanism to assert your rights that takes the form of essentially a web browser extension that individuals can utilize. The idea here is, and what these laws are trying to get at, is making it easier for individuals who, you know, allow their rights to be to be requested and the like. So, again, that's something we have more information on in the Privacy Resource Center, but that's one wrinkle and nuance to call out that's unique to Colorado at this point. That is a really helpful overview again. Thank you for that. And, of course, that's Colorado. So what about Delaware and Oregon? I know that those laws are are effective next year. So can you give us some background on those as well? Absolutely. So, again, you know, it's hard to talk, get a great sense of trends in in U.S. state laws. But two of the most recently passed state privacy laws are following Colorado's lead. And they're also largely applicable to nonprofits. So in Oregon, that law is going to be effective for nonprofits, nonprofits actually get a little extra time here. That's not going to uh, go into effect until July 2025. And then Delaware nonprofits have until January 1st, 2025. So like I mentioned for Colorado, take a look at that threshold for applicability. You know, it's going to vary based on the state. Delaware is a tiny state, for instance. So it's like 35,000 data subjects that are residents of Delaware. That's the the threshold there, for example. Take a look at that piece. In terms of specific elements, the good news for nonprofits is that if you're applicable in Colorado, 
or you're taking the approach, hey, you know, there might be laws coming down the line or a federal law. We might not be applicable to Colorado, but maybe we're going to be on the hook for some of these other laws or a federal law down the line. What's a good place to look as a model? Colorado really is probably, a, I, I, would, I would say, it's a good place to look. It's consistent with many other privacy laws already in effect, including Oregon and Delaware. Of course, like I mentioned earlier, there are wrinkles that are different. But if you want to get the baseline that is going to cover those privacy concepts we talked about earlier, those five common principles, and then get an understanding of what might be coming your way, Colorado is a great place to look. And Oregon and Delaware are really following in, in the footsteps of the Colorado law. So good news, you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. But uh, again, the trend appears to be more more laws, more state laws impacting nonprofits generally. Well, that is really helpful delve into uh, uh, free states there, of course, as you've said, is is actually wherever you are in the globe as a nonprofit that there's either currently enacted or pending legislation that's really important to, to be aware of and understand, and of course, with our, our donors often being global and, and crossing boundaries, uh, that makes it all the more important to take that kind of global approach to privacy. So uh, wherever you are as a nonprofit, if you've yet to put a data privacy program into place, how would you recommend they start going about that? What are, what are the steps they should be taking? Absolutely. It's a great question, Dan. So as a first step, you know, don't panic. You're, you're definitely not alone if you're just taking a look at this now. Even, you know, I have previously worked in more of the for-profit space and a lot of large organizations there are in similar situations to to yourself. So there are many simple steps you can take at this point to get the ball rolling and, and get moving in the right direction. The first thing is understand data and how it lives in your organization. So I'm a broken record on this piece, but the fundamental step to meeting any of these requirements is understanding what data you have, where that data is stored, how that data is shared, and then having an understanding of how long you're holding on to that data, if you're just holding on to everything, or if you're holding on to data for specific purposes, and then you're deleting when you no longer need it for that specific purpose. So if you get that baseline met, you're going to be in a good position to go ahead and meet specifics of these privacy laws. Obviously, that fundamental piece that I mentioned is not easy. It can be very challenging and complicated, but any steps you take now, there's gonna be benefits even outside of just complying with these privacy laws. So I'd really encourage organizations to take that as the first step. That's the initiative. Maybe now you have um, a new law you can point to and use your organization to show, hey, there's now a legal requirement for us to take some of these steps if we haven't been able to, to do so previously. So again, start, start at the baseline. And then I'd encourage you to take a look at the Privacy Resource Center to get a sense of how at least BlackBot has thought about trying to bucket the common themes here so you can take more of a global approach and you won't have to to start over every time a new law comes into effect, you can hit the you can hit the the key elements of these laws and then build out there in terms of getting more specific. Don't get lost in the forest. You know, take take those basic steps at the start, and hopefully that'll pay dividends for you down the line. 
Those are some really strong recommendations to to end the show with. Thank you so much, Dan. And I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed today's show. We definitely encourage everyone to check out the show notes for for more resources as well, including, of course, that Privacy Resource Centre, which is a really great place uh, where you can begin. And uh, very much hope that our listeners will join us again soon for another episode of the Engage podcast. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you.